Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. Last Tuesday, a Manhattan judge rejected an attempt by prosecutors to reduce murder charges against Tracy McCarter, a victim of domestic violence. State Supreme Court Justice Diane Kiesel denied a motion by the Manhattan District Attorney to dismiss murder charges in order to charge McCarter with manslaughter instead for the self-defense killing of her husband, James Murray, on March 2, 2020. McCarter claimed she stabbed Murray in self-defense when he showed up at her Upper West Side apartment drunk and attacked her, demanding money. According to McCarter, the couple was living apart because of Murray's untreated alcoholism. McCarter was indicted by a grand jury under former Manhattan DA Cy Vance Jr. His successor, DA Alvin Bragg, has said that he would have handled McCarter's case differently with the evidence of abuse she suffered. Kiesel says prosecutors waited too long to file the tepid motion to dismiss the murder charge and that the case against McCarter was strong enough to proceed. The DA's office had 45 days after McCarter's arraignment, more than a year before Bragg was elected, to dismiss the murder indictment, and now it is too late, Kiesel said. A mother of four, McCarter worked at the New York Presbyterian Hospital and was enrolled in a Columbia University master's program when the crime occurred. She has no criminal record. McCarter called 911 and was performing CPR on Murray when police arrived. Kiesel's decision means prosecutors must try McCarter on the original murder charges, despite their belief she isn't guilty of them. McCarter's lawyer Sean Hecker said he wished the DA had moved quicker. If convicted of murder, McCarter faces 25 years to life in prison. Sean Sutton is from Greenville, North Carolina, and she participated in the George Floyd uprising when it spread there in late May 2020. Sean was imprisoned due to her participation and has been recently released. Today, she discusses the incident surrounding her arrest and the overall way that the recent years have shaped her politics. My name legally is Shante. Um, you know, but everybody pretty much calls me Sean. But um, yeah, 36 years young, born in uh, Greenville, North Carolina. I was pretty much raised, I would say, in Bertie County. And uh, if I could describe myself, you know, in one word, I would just say rebel. You know, I just, I've always done my own thing. You know, I've always had, you know, strong feelings and opinions about whatever, you know. Uh, I never really, I've always just had a mind of my own, you know, I've always just been a stand on my own two feet type of person, you know, even, even, even young, you know, it wasn't really pretty much nothing nobody could do to deter me from whatever it was that I felt strongly about. And, and that's even today, you know, worse, you know, so I don't see that being a problem. I, I see that just being what sets me apart from a lot of people is because no matter what, I've always just had to do what it 
is I felt that I needed to do or wanted to do, whether people thought it was right or whether people thought it was wrong. You know, I've always had to pretty much just walk my own walk, you know. That's just it with me. That's that's kind of always been me. It has taught me a lot as far as understanding who you really are, you know, and, and being okay with that, no matter the consequences. We were in one of those cities that, you know, just went raw at the beginning. There, there were other bigger cities in North Carolina that probably went a little harder than Greenville and definitely other states than North Carolina that went a little harder than North Carolina. You understand what I'm saying? Like we we kind of we kind of caught it once the fire was already ignited and burning strong, you know, we we were on the back end of that. I would have loved to been in one of those bigger cities or bigger states where 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 you had thousands of people, you know, coming together. I, I would have loved to have been there and seen firsthand instead of watching it on the news. I would have loved to have been there. But in the same sense, we did come together. And for me, it was more than just George Floyd. And that's where the misconception comes in, you know. Don't get me wrong, the George Floyd incident was horrific. It still plays, I'm pretty sure, in the back of everyone's mind. The, the whole image is definitely painted on people's brains and in the, in the back of their eyes for, for, for a lifetime, I'm pretty sure. But for me, it was way bigger than that because there was someone that I knew personally that I did federal time with, you know, I've actually have met this person and communicated with this person and related to this person, you know, so it was bigger for me when literally they were killed right after by, by a police officer as well in Tallahassee, Florida. And so for me, it was Natasha McDade for me, because like I have said many of times when the George Floyd incident was going on, hell, I had my own legal issues that I was fighting myself. I mean, I was still regrouping and rebuilding from legal issues that I was dealing with. And I wasn't really trying to deal with the police. I wasn't even trying to be nowhere around when anything transpired at the time because like I said I mean I've had my own walk with the legal and the judicial system myself so it wasn't really something that I wanted to be involved in for my own safety period but after that incident with Natasha McDade being shot down and basically just live on live and for everyone to see laid out on the ground, dead, flat, you know, and, and, and to see the police officer pacing and to hear people yelling, oh my God, that officer just shot that girl down. And, you know, it, 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 it was 
traumatizing for me because, you know, we spent all these years in prison, incarcerated in a box, you know, we, we last and we preserve and we, we think about everything we're going to do once we're free. And then we're free and boom, we don't even get to live our life. You know, it's, it's snatched away in the blink of an eye and it's so unexpected. And at the hands of the law, it, it just tears you a whole new mindset. And it makes you question, well, damn, should I have stayed in prison? Would I have lasted longer if I was still incarcerated? You know, it's just, it, it kind of, it, it, that really emotionally still to this day just, excuse my language, it me up, you know, to, to get a call at work and then to get the link to a video at work and to click it and see someone that you know personally just dead. It it almost no it, it traumatizes you. It's not no almost to it. It traumatizes you and it makes you want to just say, oh no, F all this. You know? And everyone is like peaceful, peaceful, peaceful. And then you have to say, well, what the hell are we being peaceful about? You understand what I'm saying? Because once they start televising our death, our murder, it makes you rearrange how you're going to act. It makes you rearrange how you're going to react. It makes you rearrange how you think. You know, it makes you change everything that you thought was okay. And now it's like, hold on, maybe it's not okay. Don't think for one minute that they're not paying attention because they are. Don't think for one minute that they don't know because they do. And don't think for one minute that they give a damn because they don't. So, with that being said, there comes a time when you have to put action into your own hands. Because if you don't, no one will. And that was where and when my fire was ignited for me. It was like, okay, you know what? Never mind what I said last week. Never mind what I thought last week. Because today, that process has changed. That thought process has changed. The feelings about it has changed. The silence in it has now become loud. And there's no more peacefulness in it because... Now it's like, oh, well, this affects not only them, but it's now affecting me. Not saying that it didn't affect me before, but now it's personal. And let me tell you something that, that was powerful for me. Literally, the day after the George Floyd uprising in my city, I was on my way to work. I'll never forget it. 
it replays over and over. I was on my way to work. My mother called me. Shout out to my mother. Gotta love her. But it, it was like she was worried and scared all day the same since for me. She knew I had been, been downtown. You know, there were videos posted and, you know, it was like, hold on. For her, it was more so, well, listen, baby, I'm just worried about your safety. For her, I'm just worried about your freedom. That's what it was for her. And for me, it was, Mom, I love you, I respect you, but it's not going to change nothing that I got going on. It's not going to change nothing that I feel. It's not going to take back nothing that happened last night or today or tomorrow. I feel how I feel, and that's just what it is. No disrespect. And no lie, that same day coming from work, I was pulled over by the police for running a red light that I did not run. Let's keep that in mind. Never ran it, but I was pulled over for it. And it was me and two other employees of mine in my car. And when I tell you they ran my license and I looked down at my phone, you know, probably I'll say five minutes went by, which just seemed entirely too long to run your license. And I was just like, what the hell? I was thinking in my mind, what the world is going on? And by the time I looked up in my rearview mirror, if I'm lying, I'm fine. There were 10 police cars. I mean, lights everywhere. You would have thought I killed George Floyd. And I just was like, what is this? And the whole time, they knew my car. They had my license plate from, you know, cameras downtown. And the moment that they ran my name, I guarantee you, they said, hold on, we know her. We know her. Oh, she's the owner of this car? Oh, yeah. We're going to treat her as if she's armed and dangerous. Because that's the way that they came. And I wish that my two employees at that time were here to, to verify. I mean, it was like, we were all like, what in the hell? They were calm. It was like, they didn't want no problems. And me, I was irate. I was like, what the hell is going on? Why are all of y'all out here with the, what? You know, it was just because I couldn't understand. Hold on, this is supposed to be a simple traffic stop. What is the problem? Verbatim, I asked the guy, what the hell is going on? And this man said to me, well, your car was downtown last night causing problems. I said, my car was downtown causing problems? Because technically, you had nothing on me, but you knew that my car was downtown. So with that being said, you knew that I was downtown. That's your mindset on it, you know. I lie to you not. These people didn't know what the hell they were arresting me for at the beginning. They were asking each other, what are we going to charge her with? They didn't even know what they were charging me with in the beginning. And it's like when you already have a history or a record, I cannot win this battle. But in the same sense, you just keep fighting because you know that you have a purpose and you know that it's for a reason.
you know, it I, don't get me wrong, man, it's it's crazy. Because for real, for real, when they start saying, Well, you're gonna get this much time or this is gonna happen and you realize these people hold your lives in their hand. I mean, they're holding you up in the air, your feet are dangling and they have their hands around your neck. It's no longer a noose around your damn neck. It's their hands around your neck. And they have the authority to let your feet touch the ground, let you get a little air, or they can toss your ass over the fence. And that's sad, but it's true. You know, I don't give a damn if they don't have no evidence or if they say they have tons and tons. No matter what, at the end of the day, they hold it in their hands. I I end up, you know, doing a little time for that that happened down there. And I, I can't say that, you know, I wasn't shocked because I was. Because the shit were charging me with was just crazy. They're charging me for burning down buildings that I ride past and they're still standing. I don't see an ash the first anywhere. You know some windows may have been boarded up, but damn, by the time they locked me up and processed me and I was set free, them damn windows was right back. When I first was arrested, I stayed in jail for 15 days. My bond was $81,000. They seen pictures, you know, of me with violins. And, you know, of course, they said I broke into the place and stole some violins, you know. And uh, I never denied that part, you know. Yeah, we, we were like, all of this shit. All these, all these stores, we didn't give a damn about none of the stuff in the stores. We didn't give a f about the, the price of no violin because it does not amount to the price of our lives. Y'all have insurance on all of this stuff. It's going to be replaced within 24 hours. Once we are gone, we are gone. There is no coming back from that. There is no price that you can put on that. So at that moment in time, and still right now today, I don't give a damn about nothing about them stores. And, and it wasn't so much as the store owners or anything, you know, you, yeah, because, you know, that's what the judge said. Well, what did this store owner do to you guys? It wasn't about that, Your Honor. You know, sorry, uh, store owner. You know, it, it, it wasn't nothing personal towards you, sir. Because at the end of the day, yeah, you may own this store, but guess what? Somebody gave you a loan on that. None of this is really yours. But our lives are ours. That's something that we should own. It belongs to us. No one gave me a loan for this body of mine. No one gave me a loan for this soul. No one gave me a loan for my voice, my breath, none of that. I mean, some people would say God loaned it to you. 
But at the end of the day, it's mine. He gave this to me. It's the only one I have. It's the only thing that I own. And we cannot get it back once you take it. But once somebody takes something out that damn store, guess what? They're going to get it back tenfold. Insurance has already paid for it. When you get an insurance claim out on your body and you die and someone reached the benefit from that insurance plan, it does not contain you. You don't come back with the insurance plan. You are still gone. And they just have some money, but they do not have you. So that's the difference. I'm still paying for it right now today. They want $7,000 for that. They want it back. They want their money back. Not only from the insurance or whatever, they want it back from you. You know, whether you did what they said, because I didn't burn down no buildings. The people was trying to give me 30 years. Just off my record alone, they didn't give a damn if I did it or not. Because my record said I did. And my lawyer told me this thing. I told my lawyer, I said, man, I feel like y'all trying to railroad me, man. He said, man, you railroaded yourself when you went down there with your record. He said, you should have stayed home. He said, I'm going to tell you verbatim what he said to me, because I never forget it. It replays in my ears every day. He said to me, them white folks are upset, and they want to see something done about this shit. Tears burning because not for the fact that, oh, I knew I was going to prison, but for the fact that they can do what the hell they want to do. And it's nothing you can do about it. It was anger for me. It wasn't because I was, oh, Lord, I'm going to prison. No, it was, oh, my God. What the f Are you serious right now? I mean, you know. Honestly, that was my second time going to Raleigh Prison, you know, because I had went there once prior for probation violation. If I'm, I think I did uh, 12 months, you know, so I, I was already known there. And then, and I, honestly, I think it had been, what, two years prior. So I, I was still, you know, they, they knew me. So... <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I'm going to tell you truthfully, it's crazy because I was on, um, you know, what they call reception. That's that's what they call it when you, you first get there, you know, they got to process you in and, you know, figure out, you know, your custody levels and whatever prior, you know, all of that. So I was still, you know, in a pink shirt, should I say, because that's what you wear. So I didn't really at first tell anybody, you know, this is this or that. I really can't sit here and say to you how people knew it, but at the time that I was on recession, you know, the um, the trial was still going on for the George Floyd case. I'll never forget. This lady came running in there to me, and she says, Hey, you know, I know you don't know me. She introduced herself. She said, I know you, you know, they call you Sean. I was like, yeah. She said, I just want to let you know that I honor you. I respect you for what you did. And at that moment, I was like, well, damn, you know? 
But don't get me wrong. There were people who were like, man, I wouldn't have been out there. I said, I mean, hey, I'm pretty sure I, a lot of people agree with you on that. I even had a, had talked with officers, you know, that were really, you know, justifying the fact that, hey, man, you know, it's, it's effed up. And, you know, yeah, you know, we need to be a force. But, but, you know, I, I stay in a small little town and, you know, we just got this, that. We don't need to F up our stuff. And, you know, we, we got to go about it a different way. And, you know, you, you always ask the question, well, what's a different way? And they never have, like, an answer. We, we, we don't want to drive an extra five miles to go to the store. You know, that is like that, you know, and it's like, well, what is really important to you? Everyone should definitely have their own mind. Everyone should definitely be able to describe for you their own image. You know, but don't be no damn fool, man. You know, I mean, have some kind of dignity. You know, right now, man, I've just been working and, and just trying to gather my thoughts about what it is I'm going to do next, you know? So it's not really a problem for me, man. Let me tell you, they're they going to try to do whatever it is they can, you know? That's why when I came home, you know, I, I even before I came home, my plans were already to relocate because I wasn't stupid. I knew that my case was... Uh, you know, a focal point. When, 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 when certain statements were made to me or, you know, you could have been in the courtroom or if you could have been a fly on the wall in the courtroom, in your mind, you would have said, damn, this girl is getting f***ed. And she's f***ed. You know, just, just off the actions of the DA and the stuttering in the DA's mouth and to see the other DA's, you know, and the judge and the look on my own damn public defender's eyes because I'm not going to send a lawyer. I'm ready to come up off this anchor monitor, man, and hopefully I could, uh, you know, pursue a little more because, you know, you can't do too much at home. Let me tell you because they only give you just enough time, you know, to uh, go to work, basically. Some hours out, but, you know, anything after that, no, it's a dub. I, honestly, I, I think for me, man, with this whole re-entry thing, it's just like, I haven't quite re-entered. I'm really just, you know, re-entry comes with so many steps. And, you know, you can't really put them in no particular order because it's mental first. You have to be prepared mentally before you can start any step to re-entry. You know, if your mind is not wrapped around it, it's going to affect you a little differently. So, for me, I think I'm still on my mental stage, man. I, I'm not even going to lie. I haven't even quite stepped into the whole re-entry aspect of it yet. I'm, I'm still just working on me mentally because... Honestly, I haven't really stepped out into the world yet. All I have done is work and came home and go see my probation officer. And, you know, being that I'm high risk, I see him every week 
once a week. I'm honestly still just trying to get myself together mentally for the simple fact that the world has changed so much. I'm like, am I really ready for the world? You know? Do I really want to be ready for the world? Am I really ready to engage? I don't even know. You know, the world is f***ed up, man, and we don't think about the simplest things. The simplest thing, you know, is just leaving home and being able to return. This has been KiteLine. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.